That's a funny thing about Easter, isn't it? We, we, we already have heard this. We already know the answer kind of thing. It's nothing like that first morning. But if you were there, and one of the things we want, to, we want to do in some ways is to step back into that Sunday because that's the Sunday that defined our Sunday, our first day of the week, our Lord's Day. It's the first day of a new week. It's the first opening into new life. And the view of that weekend... And what happened there? The view of that, uh, that terrible Friday and an execution that, uh, that occurs on a lonely hill is changed when you look at it from a different direction. It's changed when you look at the view from inside the tomb, right? Everything is different if it's from the inside of an empty tomb. We have been in the Gospel of Matthew for a few months now. Uh, we started around Christmas time because I've called this series Advent to Easter. Because the story starts in the Gospel of Matthew as Matthew at the the opening page of the New Testament is introducing us to who is this Jesus. He's the son of David, the son of Abraham. He's the the promised son of God, the, the one who would come to be the Christ, to be the Messiah. He's fully qualified. He is the fulfillment of the promises to Abraham and to David and through all the prophets. And as and and as he becomes known, that becomes evident by the things that he says, by the things that he does. And yet, the, the, uh, the high point of the Gospel of Matthew is, is this point. And we come to this Sunday. We come from Advent all the way to Easter. We've gone through the crucifixion. We get to the end of the story. And after this, there's nothing more to write. Matthew basically ends. We've got one more message in this series. That'll be next Sunday. But th- this is about the end of it because this is what it's all about. This is where we've been going. And you, had, you heard the story read that um, uh, there are basically two sides to that story. There, there are the verses that we heard read earlier, and then it goes on a little bit further from there. If you carry on from verse 11, while they were going, so the women were going, they have, they have seen the angel, they've been to the tomb, the angel has told them, don't be afraid, come and see, go and tell. And as they go and tell, they meet the risen Savior himself. And as they are then running on with his words echoing in their ear, do not be afraid, because he is risen, we've nothing to fear. Then as they go, the guards also go. The guards, some of them returned to the city, and while they were going, behold, some of the guard, it says in verse 11, went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. So there were two sets of witnesses that morning. There were two people telling this amazing story. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they came up with a plan. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people, His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were sleeping. Hmm. Now, I don't know what kind of legs that story has. It still goes on. Well, what happened here? How do you answer this? What went on? What is the end of the story? Well, the disciples came and stole away the body. Well, how did they do that? Wasn't there a seal? Wasn't there a guard? The guards fell asleep. Oh, so how do they know? You see, the story doesn't really have legs, but that was the story. It's the best that they had on short notice. If it comes to the governor's ears and he kind of sees his way through this, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed, and this story has been spread among Israel even to this day. So the story goes on. What was it? Was this a, was this a glorious miracle or a miserable myth? 
Is it a story that the disciples concocted and tried to, try to salvage some hope, a, a myth that they were willing to die for? Or is this actually, actually just as God has said? I want us to return to that story, and, and as we do, as we were reading through it, I'm going to read this section again. We're in Matthew 28, and if you're using one of the church Bibles, because I want you to follow along, and I want you to see these key points as we come to them. If you're using the church Bible, you'll find us in, on page 835. But I want you to follow along in Matthew 28, especially as I read again from verse 4. And I want to, there's one of the things that I look for when I'm reading the scripture, what is it telling me? What do I need to know from here? What, how do I need to respond? Uh, sometimes there's just solid truth. This is from God and I need to know it. Sometimes because of that, there's something that I, I can do. Something that I'm invited into. Something that I'm told to do or to not do. What is my response? What is it? And so one of the things I look for is, especially when there are commands, when there are commands, when, it, when there's a, a, a verb form that says, this is something you must go and do, I pay attention to that. And there are three of those. There are three commands in this short passage that I want to return our attention to. We're going to pick it up in verse 4. Back to those guards again. You see, what's happened here is an angel has appeared. Now, the women are coming to the tomb, and it's very early in the morning. It's probably still a little dark. It's not, the sun's not fully up yet. And it's a scary thing to come to a graveyard when it's not quite light. Graveyards are kind of creepy places anyway, aren't they? There's something about death there. It just, it's, it's, it's a depressing place, it seems like, especially if you're in some ways superstitious, Okay. Maybe you're afraid of spirits, and, and uh, the, the, the spiritual realm can be a little, we don't know what to do with that. So they come to a grave, a tomb. It's early in the morning. It's not quite, and, and yet all of a sudden the, the ground begins to shake, and this is not one of those deep, uh, deep um, below-the-surface earthquakes. It's just a little rumbling, a little bit of jelly feeling on the surface. No, no. This is a at-the-surface quake that is cracking the, uh, the bedrock, and uh, it's shaking things loose, and it shakes so hard that the stone rolls back from the tomb. And at the same time, there's this blinding appearance, almost like a bolt of lightning. Now, what happened? Has a bolt of lightning actually struck the tomb? Crash! And there's this angel there. He's obviously a heavenly being. I, I expect he's probably a little taller than average, a little bigger than most. And he's obviously more than merely human. This is an angelic being. And the guards recognize that. And they have been given the unfortunate assignment of trying to guard the tomb of the Son of God. And whatever you do, keep him in there. Those were the marching orders. Good luck with that. And these guards were fully awake. And at this spectacular supernatural appearance, they crumble. They faint. They fall down as dead. For fear of him, the angel, the guards trembled and became like dead men. Verse 5, but the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified he is not here, for he is risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. 
Did you catch those three commands? There are three specific things that they are told to do. And I think those three specific things, from one of two directions, fit us this morning. Those three, th- those three commands, those three words of instruction are this. Don't be afraid. Come and see. Go and tell. Now, for all of us here, it may be that you're a follower of Jesus. And these were followers of Jesus. So I want to start there first. And then I want to come back around what if you're not. But first, these three commands. For you who are gathered this morning, you you came to Easter. You come to church regularly, perhaps. But especially Easter, you're going to be here. Why? Because this is the Sunday that makes every Sunday. This is the Lord's day. Jesus is risen from the dead. And so here we are. And what would God say to us? First of all, he would say, don't be afraid. Why would I be afraid? Put yourself back into that morning. This is an angel of God. And God might not be happy. I mean, look what humanity has just done to his son. And heaven shows up in response. An angel can wipe out an army. That's happened in the Bible before. These guards don't stand a chance. And neither does anybody else who might be in his path. But the angel, the guards fall down in fear. They faint. They collapse. But the angel quickly tells the women, do not be afraid. You don't have to fear God's power, God's anger, God's judgment, because all of that has fallen on Jesus instead of falling upon you. You who believe in Jesus, he took God's wrath judgment, anger for you. All that we've done was laid on him. It's done. It's dealt with. It's paid in full. Do not be afraid. Christian, when you imagine yourself before the throne of heaven, before the presence of God, don't be afraid. You are welcome there. You are invited there. You are embraced. The scripture tells us that we can come boldly before the throne of grace in order to find mercy and grace to help in time of need. In your time of need, in your time of trouble, in your time of failure, you're afraid to go. And you shouldn't be. Because God invites you to his throne, which is for you a throne of mercy and grace. Don't be afraid. Maybe they're afraid of persecution and trouble. Consider In this moment, again, the disciples are in hiding. Why? If they would do this to the rabbi who was their leader, what would they do to those who were his followers? The quickest way to put this this down for good is to come down on the whole group hard. And if they would do that to a a rabbi well-known and liked who drew crowds all over Israel, what would they do to these insignificant disciples? They could be afraid that the authorities are going to come and finish this. Around the world, even today, as as Christians gathered around the world on Easter morning, even as they did last week in Passover, as they, or rather on Palm Sunday, as they gathered, many gathered with some fear, wondering if this church service was going to be their last. Because there might be someone in their midst or somebody who would come into the church with a bomb strapped to them and take them all. See, that happens. Only because they're Christians, because they have identified themselves with Jesus. That's the reality of a world of hate that we live in. Now, some of you, you say, well, I wasn't worried about a bomb coming into the church this morning. 
But maybe you've experienced something of animosity towards Jesus in other ways. I know folks in our church that have had that have, that have had to leave their work because they were asked, insisted that they must do something dishonest. They, they must change some numbers. They must cheat somebody. They must, they must um, um, engage in some deception, some lie against the truth, a lie against the integrity of who they are in Christ. And they couldn't do that. And they couldn't stay there. Or because they were a Christian, maybe the, their, their loyalty to do whatever it took to get ahead and to advance the 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 company was, was going to hold them back from being in a position of, of responsibility where they could bring in a more honest approach. And they've experienced some of that. But don't be afraid. Don't ever be afraid, Christian, to do what's right. Maybe I'm afraid of my own sin, my own guilt. But I don't have to be afraid to approach God's presence because of what I know about myself. And you don't either. Why? Because it was all laid on him. And that's why he was laid in that tomb in the first place, because our sin was, that's the essence of Christian theology, that our sin was laid on him, and that's why he dies. That's why the Father forsakes him. That's why he is separated in death from God, whom he's never been separated from before. And now his coming out of that grave, his his ascending into heaven, his going to his God and your God, his father and your father. His return to the right hand of the majesty on high is because the sin has been forever put away. It's been paid in full. It is no longer there. The scripture says that he was buried for our transgressions, for our guilt, for our sin. And he rose for our justification or because of our justification, because God in him, has in him, in Jesus, made us right, righteous, completely clean, Fully acceptable before God himself. That's who you are in Jesus. I don't need to fear God's anger toward humanity. I don't need to fear trouble that others might bring. I don't even need to fear what I know about myself because God embraces me. I don't sneak into heaven. And it's not because of me at all. It's because of Jesus who died for me and my simply putting my faith in him. Don't be afraid. Come and see you see, that, that come and see, that, that be sure of the resurrection changes everything. It changes everything. The body is not there. No one stole it. The guards were there. The seal was unbroken until the angel came and rolled the stone away so that everybody could see that the body was not there. You say, well, but how can I come and see today? I can't go back. You know, I visited Jerusalem. I visited the two tombs that are often talked about as, as potential burial sites, and the body wasn't in either one of them. I checked them both just to be sure. The body's not there. But we can't go back 2,000 years. But there are two lines of evidence. There are two ways that you can come and see. There is your story and there is God's story. And how those two agree. You see, you know for yourself, Christian, you know what it is to be forgiven. You know the testimony. You know the witness of the spirit of the living God within you that tells you that you have been forgiven. You know what that's like. You know what it was when you did not believe and you know what it is that you do. And you know, and you know that that believes with an unchanging message that has been coming, that, 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 that has come down over the last 2,000 years. That a, a testimony that, that, that God inscribed for us because he knows that we are, we are, we are human and we are sometimes feelings-driven 
And sometimes that feeling of guilt or fear would push us away. And he, he wrote the record down, and he did it over a period of 2,000 years since, since um, the exodus out of Egypt under Moses on through the end of the first century. 37 different authors, God gives us this book with all their different personalities and so forth, and yet... Ten thousands of manuscripts that testify to its accuracy. Do you realize there's nothing else we know about history from several hundred years ago and further back? There's nothing else we know of any historical activity that compares to the accuracy and the evidence we have concerning this event. Did you know that? This is not a some ancient text believe this and others, others write other things. It's nothing like that at all. The evidence is overwhelming. I don't know if Julius Caesar actually existed or not, but I know that Jesus did. There's your story. There's God's story. Come and see. Come into this story again. Why do we read the Bible? Because faith comes by hearing. Why do you need to be gathering together with other believers on the Lord's day, reminding ourselves that we live in his resurrection so that we might encourage one another in love and good deeds? We need that. We need to remind our souls. We need to strengthen our faith in God's truth. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. That's why the time you read it yourself, the time that we read it together, that's important. We need to come and see. We need to come and see so that we have something to say. We need to come and see so that we can go and tell. Ah, again, don't be afraid. I start talking about go and tell, and there's all kinds of reasons that, that, that pop up. And I, who am I to tell anybody, Right? Who are, these, who are these women to tell anybody? Now, don't get me wrong, ladies. I'm going to get in trouble here, okay? I'm going to get in trouble, but I'm going to try not to, okay? Give me the benefit of the doubt. In the first century, this is not the first century, but in the first century, women were not reliable witnesses. And it wasn't the women's fault. It was because of the perspective of society. If you had a court case, if you had a trial concerning somebody's guilt or innocence or concerning civil damages and somebody was treated unfairly, you could not bring women to testify in the court because women were not reliable. You know, they get carried away, emotional about stuff. You just can't, you can't they're just women. Don't hold it against me, ladies. I can see some of you reacting. I can see that. No, no, no. That's first century. And yet, what does God do? Who does God give the privilege of being the first to see and to tell of his son's resurrection? It's to these women. If this was a cleverly designed fable, if this was a story that was engineered to try to gain traction, if this was something the disciples cooked up, well, first of all, they would be heroes. Peter wouldn't be cowering at a, at a servant girl denying Jesus. And secondly, they would be the ones to first tell the story. They would be the ones to describe what they have seen. Their first witnesses are ones that in that first century would not be reliable at all. But God uses those, because God is, not, God is not trying to argue a case and prove a point. God will use the least of these. God will use often least likely people. How is it that I get to stand up here and talk to you about Jesus? It's not in me. God will use you. You're the one to go and tell. There are people around you that only you could tell. He said, well, how do I get started? What do I do? <laughs> Well, start, start a little more comfortable. There's, there are some very nice people right here. Tell them. Tell somebody before you go, did you know Jesus is risen? 
I know they probably already did, but still, it's good that they hear it. Tell, talk to the people who ought to be talking about Jesus. Tell them first, okay? And then you find yourself talking to people, you'll, pretty soon you'll be talking to everybody. Okay, you're going to be back to work tomorrow. Maybe you're going to be back at school. And somebody's going to ask you, what would you do this weekend? Well, I don't know about you, but I had a busy weekend. Saturday was full. One of the th- just one of the bits of home stuff I did on Saturday was I put in an exhaust duct in our kitchen. So now we have an exhaust fan above the range in the kitchen again. That's a good thing, isn't it, ladies? Yeah, now I got you back again. See, okay, good. The, <laughs> did you know how much trouble it is to put an exhaust fan and duct in? I thought this was going to be easy. No, there is a stud right in the middle of where this rectangular exhaust thingy is supposed to go. This isn't going to be easy at all. And, we, and, and, and then, you know, exhaust fans need power. And there isn't power there. I, I had a very, but you know, if somebody asked me that tomorrow, when I stop in the coffee shop, somebody asked me, hey, how was your weekend? I'm not going to tell them about my exhaust fan. That is not going to be my story. Maybe it's going to be something like this. Maybe when they ask you, how was your weekend? What did you do this weekend? Oh, man, I went to church. And man, the, the, the pastor, his message, it was awesome. Man, it was great. Say that. Okay, okay, you'll laugh. Yeah, all right, okay. Well, you say, you know, the pastor, you know, he tries. He tries. But listen, this time around, it was so, it was, it was just, there were three quick points. It was that because Jesus is risen, that, 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 that we are told on, by heaven's own authority, we are told to, to not be afraid, to come and see, know that this is true, and then go and tell. And it reminded me what Easter's all about. Say that. You see, you're going to get asked, what'd you do this weekend? Don't be afraid. Tell them. That's what I did this weekend. And it was there. And, and that, however it goes from there. The angel's words, don't be afraid. These are our marching orders. Don't be afraid. Come and see. Be, sir. Spend time. Read more. Dig in a little bit. But with what you know, you are witnesses. What you know, go and tell. Now, what if you're here this morning and you're to say, well, I'm not a follower of Jesus. I'm, I'm, I'm here. I'm curious. What is this Easter thing all about? My friend invited me. I said, oh, I'll come. It's Easter. You know, I'll be extra people there. I won't be noticed. It won't be too big of a deal. All right, I'll come. Been nagging me for weeks. Good for you. They're going and telling. See, they're doing just what they're supposed to do. Give them a break. But what am I supposed to do? Well, the same three apply. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of caricatures of belief, of what you understand, of what it means to be a Christian, what other people have told you about those weird Christians and the crazy things that they do believe. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of your own unworthiness. Don't be afraid. Well, that might be okay for you, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You don't know what's in my background. Don't be afraid. God will accept every one of us based on his grace in Jesus. Jesus' death was big enough for all that you or I have done. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what others are going to say. Don't let others criticism. You know how that works. It's been there since middle school. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of what others are going to say. Instead, come and see. What about this truth? This truth could set you free. Consider that historical record. Consider the story of Matthew itself, how he introduces us to Jesus as Savior. Another good place you could start. Another one of the Gospels, the Gospel of John, is written for this particular purpose. 
John has an agenda. Don't go in just thinking, oh, it's a harmless book. It's not. It's not intended to be a harmless book. It says, in the end of it, he says, this I've written to you so that you may know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, and that believing in him, you could have life in his name. John wrote that because he wants you to believe. Give him a chance. Come to the empty tomb. Come and see. All right? Come on, it's 22 pages. Four to, four to six hours, you would read the whole thing through. You read the whole thing through, you'll have some questions. Maybe you've already got questions. We have that comment card. Remember that comment card thing I showed you earlier, that communication card? You could use that. Ask me a question. Tell you what, anybody, Christians, anybody, ask me a question. I love questions. I might spend the next week asking them or trying to find answers, but I would love to explore with you. I would love to join you and come and see. Ask a friend that you know, a friend that you came with. But come and see. After all, what can you lose? What might you gain? Maybe this morning you did come and see. Maybe this morning for you is kind of like one morning in church for me. Years ago, I was in my late teens. And before then, I had kind of laughed off religion as death insurance, even though I kind of generally believed in some way, yeah, Jesus lived and died for the sins of the world, okay. But it didn't do anything for me personally. It wasn't a matter for me individually to be concerned about. But there came a time when I realized somebody asked me the question. And I realized at that point, I don't know when it happened exactly. I know within, from this month to that month, all of a sudden, and I asked myself and I realized I believe that Jesus not only died, but that he died for me. Maybe this morning for you it's the culmination of that process. Maybe you sit here and if I asked you, do you believe? If you were at that tomb, what would you expect to see? Is he risen just as he said? You say, yeah. Yeah, I think he was. He died for me and he rose again because all of our sin has been paid in full. Him for me. Maybe this morning you realize, I do believe. Then, just as the angel said, go and tell. Tell somebody. That's not a secret you need to keep. That's not something you need to keep hidden away. No, no, go and tell somebody. that You've got a friend who would love to hear. You've got somebody who's been praying for you who would love to hear that you believe in Jesus. Tell me before. I would love to rejoice with you. For Christians... For visitors, those considering, inquiring, the word from heaven is the same. Don't be afraid. Come and see. God invites you to know this. God wants you to know that. And for you who believe, he wants you to know more fully, more clearly, so that you can go and tell somebody, anybody, everybody. Let's pray. Father, would you do that? Lord, I want to pray, especially right now, Lord, for somebody that's considering now for the, perhaps the first time they've honestly asked themselves, what do I believe about Jesus? His death, his resurrection. Lord, if he simply died a death, whether it was cruel and unjust, and stayed there, it means nothing to any of us. But Father, would you show them that Jesus not only died for them and rose, would you, Father, settle that in hearts this morning? And Lord, if there's someone here this morning that would, would say, perhaps for the first time before others, I do believe in Jesus.
Oh, Father, give them courage then to, to tell someone, to tell a friend, to tell me, to share that with any of us before they go this morning, that they could step into that confidence that the angel extended, that you want us to have, to not be afraid, to be sure, to share it with everybody. And then, Lord, as we now receive this morning's offering, from those who hear and believe and want to share this same joy with others, Father, would you take these gifts, would you use them for your glory? Would you use them that others might also know that Jesus died and rose for them? Would you use us in that way, Father, for your glory? And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.